Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. In the heart of this vast and secluded national park lies an ancient forest, brimming with untold mysteries. As a park ranger named Sarah, I am well acquainted with these dense woods and the secrets they hold. Over the years, I've heard countless tales of strange sightings and unexplained phenomena, but I've always remained skeptical, dismissing them as mere folklore. However, one fateful night during my routine patrol. I stumbled upon a series of inexplicable events that shattered my skepticism and thrust me into a chilling world of the unknown. As I navigated through the darkened woods, the air grew heavy with an eerie presence, and an unsettling feeling washed over me. I knew I was not alone. Through the dense foliage, I caught a glimpse of an enormous, shadowy figure moving in the distance. The massive creature possessed an otherworldly aura. Towering above the trees with a hulking primal presence, fear gripped my heart, but curiosity compelled me forward to investigate this inexplicable sight. Drawing closer, my heart pounded in my chest, and the forest seemed to hold its breath. In a heart-stopping moment, I came face to face with an ancient legend, a Bigfoot, a creature I had always believed to be nothing more than a myth. Frozen in terror, I locked eyes with the enigmatic beast. Its eyes were deep pools of darkness, 
seemingly holding untold secrets from centuries past. In that instant, a chilling understanding washed over me. This creature was no mere legend. It was a living, breathing entity with an intelligence far beyond human comprehension. My mind raced with disbelief, but the Bigfoot made a swift, agile move, disappearing into the dense undergrowth in the blink of an eye. The forest seemed to come alive with eerie sounds and a haunting feeling washed over me. The woods seemed to be whispering warnings, urging me to stay away. Determined to unravel the truth behind this ancient legend, I delved deeper into the forest, following the elusive trail of the Bigfoot. But the creature always stayed one step ahead, vanishing into the shadows whenever I got close. With each encounter, my fear gave way to a strange sense of connection. The Bigfoot seemed almost curious about me, as if it recognized my presence in its domain. The encounters grew more frequent, and I began to piece together a haunting truth. The Bigfoot was not just a creature of the forest. It was a guardian of the wilderness, a protector of ancient secrets. As I continued my pursuit, I found myself drawn into a chilling web of deception and danger. Unexplained disappearances and eerie occurrences plagued the park, leading me to realize that the Bigfoot was not the only enigma hidden within the forest. In a race against time, I confronted my deepest fears and the malevolent forces that lurked in the shadows of the wilderness. I became entangled in a deadly game of cat and mouse, where the stakes were higher than I had ever imagined. The lines between reality and folklore blurred, and my sanity hung in the balance as I uncovered the chilling truth behind the ancient forest's mysteries. I relied on my instincts and survival skills to navigate the treacherous terrain and escape the clutches of an entity far beyond human understanding. In a heart-pounding climax, I faced the Bigfoot once more, and this time the encounter led to a revelation that changed everything. Standing face to face with the enigmatic creature, I discovered a bond that transcended the boundaries of myth and reality. In the end, I was left with a choice. To expose the existence of the Bigfoot to the world, or to protect its secrets and preserve the wilderness's enigmatic allure. As I made my decision, I couldn't help but wonder if the legend of the Bigfoot was meant to remain hidden forever lurking in the shadows of the ancient forest. When I served in the Navy, my role was in aviation. While deployed, I had the opportunity to be on the flight deck during the day. The Navy is renowned for its utmost vigilance in protecting the airspace above aircraft carriers. Any approaching aircraft is met with swift action, with alert jets launching to ensure the safety and security of the carrier. One morning, something caught my attention as I looked up. Along with my fellow sailors, I witnessed an aircraft in the distance. It had a distinct red star on its vertical stabilizer and was calmly cruising directly above our flight deck. It was an unusual sight because we were often reminded of how the Russians are always testing our airspace and the need for us to respond promptly to any such incursions. However, this particular aircraft seemed to be peacefully soaring a few thousand feet above our flight deck, defying the expected reaction. The incident left us intrigued and sparked discussions among the crew. It was a reminder of the complex dynamics and constant surveillance that define naval operations. 
even when unexpected occurrences challenge our preconceived notions. I live at the base of Pikes Peak in Colorado Springs, surrounded by the majestic mountains. During the spring and summer, I spend a lot of my time exploring these rugged terrains. However, the scariest experience I've ever had in those mountains occurred during a severe lightning storm that put me and my two buddies in grave danger. It all started when five of us embarked on a mountain adventure driving in a Jeep Wrangler and a Hummer. We received a phone call from someone who said they would meet us at our destination. Perfect, we thought. They provided us with directions to the camping spot and an alternate meet-up location in case they couldn't find it, a simple spot easily accessible off the main road before the dense forest. This way, one of us could guide the third car back once enough time had passed, accounting for the loss of cell service in the area. Everything seemed well planned until the storm hit. If you've never experienced hail season on the front range of Colorado, you can't truly comprehend how swiftly a devastating storm can brew and dissipate. Out of nowhere, a gentle drizzle transformed into a torrential downpour accompanied by hail the size of marbles. In the blink of an eye, our biggest predicament became apparent. The jeep, already packed with camping gear, a valuable telescope and various supplies, only had two seats. There was no space for three people, no matter how we rearranged our belongings. Unspoken but understood, we refused to leave anyone outside in the hail, and the thought of leaving just one person behind was out of the question. We were in this together. As the rain pelted us and the hail grew more intense, the real danger revealed itself. The electricity in the air crackled ominously. Nestled within a canyon, the thunder reverberated, echoing off the rocky walls, making it seem as if Zeus himself had discovered my transgressions against Calliope and was unleashing his wrath. The deafening noise sent chills down our spines. Desperate for shelter, we rummaged through the jeep and found a blue tarp. With some quick thinking and resourcefulness, we managed to tie it between a few trees, creating a makeshift refuge from the rain. But it was one lightning bolt in particular that forever altered my perception of the Rockies' power. Approximately fifty feet from our huddled shelter, a fence marked the boundaries of a vast ranch. Though we couldn't see the ranch itself, the fence stood prominently, accompanied by a large pillar adorned with a sign warning trespassers of potential consequences, including being shot. And then it happened. While we anxiously waited for the storm to subside, amid countless flashes of lightning and thunderous booms, a colossal bolt of electricity arched around the mountain we were nestled against. It struck the post with a force that seemed to hold it captive for a seemingly eternal two or three seconds. The bolt was enormous, and our horror knew no bounds as it occurred less than one hundred feet away. The most disturbing part was what followed. For a fleeting ten seconds after the bolt dissipated, that trespassing sign glowed molten red and emitted a deafening vibration that cut through the rest of the storm. Our friends in the Hummer returned about Forty-five minutes later, finding us in a clear sky with temperatures soaring back to a balmy seventy-five degrees. The storm had vanished as if it were never there, leaving us shaken by the power we had witnessed. As a police dispatcher, I had grown accustomed to the occasional strange or unexpected call. 
but this was unlike anything I had experienced before. It was late, and the station was quiet, with only a few of us working the night shift. The closed radio channel was rarely used, reserved for sensitive communications or emergencies. So when the sound of static broke through the silence, my curiosity was piqued. At first, the static was overpowering, drowning out any discernible words. My co-worker and I exchanged puzzled glances, wondering what could be causing such interference. But then, amidst the crackling noise, we both heard it, the faint, desperate voice calling for help. Help me, the voice pleaded, barely audible over the tumultuous static. It sent shivers down my spine, a chilling plea that seemed to echo through the room. We strained our ears, trying to make sense of the muffled words, but the interference made it nearly impossible. The minutes turned into hours as we listened attentively, hoping to catch more than those two haunting words. Each time the voice came through, it seemed to grow slightly clearer, as if fighting against the barrier of static. We were determined to uncover the source of this distress call to assist whoever was in need. As the night wore on, my co-worker and I became more frustrated. We knew that every transmission sent over the radio was recorded, logged with the officer's radio identification. It was standard protocol, ensuring accountability and maintaining a record of all communication. Yet, when we searched for the recordings and logs, there was nothing to be found. It was perplexing. There should have been evidence of those transmissions, a digital trail to follow. But it was as if the recordings had vanished into thin air, erased from existence. We were thorough in our search, combing through the system, but it was as if the mysterious voice had never spoken at all. We shared our findings with the senior staff, hoping they could shed some light on the situation. To our surprise, they were aware of similar incidents that had occurred sporadically in the past. It seemed that this eerie voice had haunted a few dispatchers over the years, always managing to elude being captured on record. It was a phenomenon that defied explanation. I'm currently working as a park ranger, but before this I had a job at a different park that I doubt I'll ever set foot in again after what I experienced there last year. During the day, the park was bustling with visitors, and I would conduct numerous walk-throughs and tours. However, my favorite part of the job was when everybody left at night and I had the entire park to myself. Being surrounded by nature made me the happiest, so this job was a perfect fit for me. One day, an older lady came into the park and asked for a tour. She stood out as the kindest person I ever met, and she seemed to genuinely enjoy my company. For some reason, she prolonged the tour, calling me a child throughout, but in a way that seemed endearing to me. We connected on a deep level and shared a passion for nature. Spending the whole day with her felt wonderful, and there was something warm about her presence that I couldn't quite explain. As darkness fell, the lady began to grow melancholic, and I asked her about it. She confided in me that she felt saddened by our time together coming to an end. I reassured her that she could come back to the park any time she wanted and talk to me. She expressed her gratitude and said she hoped for another chance to visit, but in her voice and eyes... I sensed the belief that she would never see me again after that night. It was a somber moment, and I wondered if she was ill or facing some other life-threatening situation. 
but I refrained from prying as it would have been impolite. She mentioned wanting to show me something and led me to a secluded area of the park where a beautiful fountain stood. She explained that the fountain, made of marble, was a cherished creation of her grandfather. To her, it was the most magnificent fountain ever built. As a child, she would often come to its edge and gaze at the water, imagining what her future would hold. However, she never anticipated it would turn out the way it did. Despite her inner calm and peace, the sadness lingered in her eyes. In a tender moment, she cupped my face in her hands and expressed how proud she was of me, how everything had unfolded just as she had hoped. Her words confused me, but I hesitated to ask for clarification. She then said it was time to say goodbye and walked behind the fountain. Curiosity got the better of me, and I followed her only to find that she had vanished into thin air. It was bewildering because there was no trace of the old lady anywhere. I approached the reception and asked if they had seen an older lady matching her description, but they denied the presence of any such visitor that day. The whole situation felt incredibly eerie, but I pushed it aside and carried on with my day. Fast forward two months later, I was flipping through my mother's photo album and stumbled upon a picture of the old lady. I was taken aback and immediately inquired about her identity. What my mother told me shook my reality and memory to the core. She revealed that the woman in the photo was my great-grandmother. The revelation left me questioning everything, even to this day. I still believe that something inexplicable occurred during that encounter. The following day, I quit my job. If I ever come across that fountain again, I fear what the truth behind the old lady's words might be and I'm too afraid to find out if what she told me was indeed true. I encountered an unknown intelligent humanoid. I pulled into my driveway in Fernandina Beach, Florida, around 9 p.m. on the evening of September 6, 2022. It was very dark, out with no cars or streetlights nearby. I stopped my car and turned it off. I then opened my door and stood up to exit the vehicle. As I stood up, I saw something difficult to describe. With the car door still open, I saw what looked like some kind of cloaked creature walking around the corner of the house from the backyard. It was hard to see. It looked like the shadow of a human-sized creature. It was totally black and moved like a person walking upright. It blocked out what was behind it, and I could really only see the distortion it caused. The distortion had wavy edges, as if it was surrounded by energy. I could make out its head and shoulders, but only in vague form. The humanoid took several steps, and at that instant I thought to myself, What is that? It stopped dead in its tracks and appeared to look right at me. At this time I was scared to death that this creature had noticed me and was looking right at me. After a few seconds of looking at each other, the creature turned and walked back around behind the house, and I never saw it again. The entire encounter lasted about 20 seconds. I thought for months it was ghost or demon, as my grandmother often told stories of seeing ghosts. Only recently have I begun to think it was an intelligent creature with a technology that was inexplicable. After the encounter, I got back into my car and drove to my roommate's work and waited for him to get off work and come home with me. This was the most terrifying experience I've ever had. This is the second unknown encounter I've had. For years, I believed that encounters like these were just reported by crazy people. 
I now believe that we are clearly not alone, and not the smartest or most technologically advanced creatures on this planet and beyond. I have seen where you write and report about various humanoids and other unexplained beings. What are your thoughts? I reported this encounter to Mufon, but I was ignored. My buddy and I were on our way to Peoria, which is about an hour and a half away. No one is around. It's one of those real clear nights. Warm summer night. Happened in June. Anyway, we're going along. Nobody around us. Around 11.45 at night, if I remember right, we're driving. Going about 55 miles per hour. We're in the right-hand lane. And the left-hand lane appears out of its own mist, a green figure about seven feet tall. You know what it had on. A cape with no face. Can't tell if it's fat or skinny. And it's standing still in the left-hand lane, and it doesn't budge, with its arms draped out side to side. It was the Grim Reaper. It was the only thing I could think of. I used to laugh at people who would tell me about the Grim Reaper. Right when I was thinking that was the Grim Reaper and kept it to myself. My buddy says, what was that? And I thought Grim Reaper in my mind, and he said it out loud. And I looked at him with a straight face, and I said, yeah, it was. That was the summertime in June, and I'll never forget it like it happened yesterday. That thing was at least seven feet tall. Never saw it again. Never want to see it again. But it was as real as you and I talking right now. So, on watch one night, me and my buddy were joking around. We were given strict orders not to go beyond the ECP for any reason. Seems fair. Well, about twenty minutes into the watch, we both start shivering, despite it being a warm and humid night. Maybe another fifteen minutes and we hear a blood-curdling scream from the woods about ten yards from the post. I'm talking, it sounded like a woman was being stabbed, over and over again. It was at least ten seconds of straight screaming. When morning came around, we asked, and we were told no one was out. No one was supposed to be in the area except for our guys. I'll tell you a story that has left me both perplexed and fascinated. It involves a young preteen boy named John, who hailed from a local farming family. One fateful day, while he was out in the fields, John vanished without a trace. The entire village rallied together in a frantic search, desperately hoping to find any clue as to his whereabouts. However, despite their efforts, John remained elusive, and his family endured the unbearable agony of his absence. Then, in a twist of fate that seemed almost miraculous, four years after his disappearance, John inexplicably reappeared at the farmhouse. Strangely, he appeared virtually unchanged, as if only a single day had passed since his vanishing. Understandably, John found it immensely difficult to comprehend the passage of time that his parents insisted had transpired during his absence. As he recounted his extraordinary tale, it became clear that his experiences during those lost years were far from ordinary. According to John, he had been accosted by a group of peculiar little men while he was in the field. Their actions rendered him completely senseless and when he regained consciousness, he found himself in a mysterious land unlike anything he had ever seen before. 
Frustratingly, he could not provide a coherent explanation of this new realm, but he insisted that the enigmatic little men possessed the ability to show him glimpses of his family's lives. During his time in captivity, John was able to describe in vivid detail certain events that had taken place in his family's absence. He spoke of their visits to Ramsey Corn Market and other activities that he had witnessed from this perplexing land. However, despite his desperate attempts to communicate with his family, all his efforts were in vain. He existed as a mere observer, unable to directly interact with his loved ones. Despite his ghost-like endeavors to reach out to them, to John's dismay, he lost all sense of time during his sojourn in that mysterious realm. Days, months, and years merged into a bewildering blur, leaving him disoriented and disconnected from the flow of time that governed his family's lives. Then, one day he awakened in a peculiar spot, far removed from the company of the little men who had held him captive. Sensing their absence, he seized the opportunity to make his way home, gradually regaining his senses as he journeyed back to the farmhouse. Although still groggy from his ordeal, John's relief upon finding his family again was immeasurable. To this day, John remains unable to provide a satisfactory explanation for the inexplicable events he experienced. The enigma surrounding his disappearance and subsequent return has left both him and those who hear his story astounded and bewildered. The tale of John's bewildering odyssey serves as a reminder of the unfathomable mysteries that exist beyond the confines of our everyday reality, forever challenging our understanding of the world around us. In the spring of 2021, I was driving home from work on a long, dark stretch of highway from Fairbanks, Alaska, to Aleson, the FBI. About halfway home, there was a bright flash all around me, almost like a flash of a huge camera going off. Right after the flash, everything in my car started to die slowly. The lights went out, the radio stopped working, and eventually the car died completely. My first thought was a battery problem. The next thing I remember was the car starting up again on its own and everything working as before. I drove home thinking it had only been a few seconds. I was completely shocked when I arrived at our house in military housing to find out that I had lost an hour and twenty minutes. I have absolutely no memory of what happened during that time. Ever since that incident, I've had many medical issues and severe back problems. Doctors always ask me if I've had an injury. My husband and I have been married for 15 years and have seen many UFOs in our travels across the United States. The largest one was in Wazilla, Alaska, somewhere around 2016. It was about the length of three football fields. Several cars were stopped along the road watching it, and it was reported in the paper the next day. Even state troopers reported seeing it. After that sighting, my husband began having vivid dreams. We found out about five years ago that my husband's blood type changed. He'd been typed in high school and throughout his military career as type. Oh, he had a physical five years ago and was typed a plus. The doctors thought there was a mistake and sent him to the hospital to be retyped. Although all his previous records showed a plus, he is now a plus, as confirmed by three separate doctors. The dreams, for my husband, still continue. 
Mine have stopped for now, but we still see many UFOs, some just lights and some we can see the entire body of the ship. I haven't reported any of this before because of fear of reprisal. In late February, amidst the enchanting landscape that straddles the border of Westmoreland and Indiana counties, my senses were ignited by a sighting that would forever alter my perception of the supernatural. It was an early morning, around 7.15 a.m., when the world was still cloaked in a tranquil embrace. Little did I know that I was about to become a witness to an otherworldly encounter. I found myself in a remote rural area near the Chestnut Ridge, surrounded by a serene stillness. As I cast my gaze toward a weathered building, a peculiar sight caught my attention. Behind the structure stood a diminutive figure approximately four feet tall, draped in a shroud of gray hair. It resembled a small Bigfoot, but there was something subtly different about its appearance. Mesmerized by this enigmatic creature, I began to notice a curious phenomenon unfolding around me. Echoing through the air, emanating from the depths of the nearby woods, came a series of haunting whoop, whoop sounds. Each resonant call sent shivers down my spine, as if beckoning the smaller creature to answer its cryptic summons. Without hesitation, the diminutive being sprang into motion, its agile form darting toward the origin of the haunting calls. I stood there, rooted to the spot as the mysteries of the unseen world unfolded before my eyes. The boundaries of reality seemed to blur, leaving me suspended between awe and trepidation. Two days later, on that very same property, a new chapter in this unfolding tale of the extraordinary was written. A putrid stench, reminiscent of rotting meat or decaying eggs, permeated the air, weaving an atmosphere of unease. The odor lingered for what felt like an eternity, tainting the very essence of the surroundings, before gradually dissipating into the ethereal abyss. As if responding to this unholy scent, the resident's faithful canine companion fell ill, overcome by a mysterious malaise. The once vibrant and eager companion now cowered in fear, refusing to venture beyond the threshold of the familiar. It was as though the tendrils of an unseen force had ensnared the very spirit of the faithful creature. This remarkable series of events became a chapter in the storied history of this enigmatic locale. The whispers of previous encounters between beings akin to Bigfoot echoed through the annals of time, intertwining with the tapestry of legends and folklore that had woven its way into the fabric of this land. As I reflect on my encounter, I am left with more questions than answers. My best friend and I worked overnight security at a Waffle House in 2002. He was tall, lanky, and had a death metal vibe. I was wide, stout, and bearded like a dwarf. We looked like badasses. We were not. We waited in line for Harry Potter 4 and attended a weekly vampire, the Masquerade LARP. We were not badasses. The reason this particular Waffle House required such lackluster security was one town over. The stretch of Tulane that passed by our Waho connected one dusty country-ass town to a dustier, though slightly less country town. Hicktown A had a considerable black population. Hicktown B had the nearest dance club, 
Everything else in between was cowboy whiskey hall. Every weekend night at 2 a.m., everyone who had made the pilgrimage to Hicktown B for healthy doses of alcohol and ass passed by the Waho and we filled to capacity until 4 a.m. For the most part, the presence of security was an overreaction from a Hicktown Waho owner. We were busy, but there was rarely any kind of trouble. Sometimes words would be exchanged over the counter. We'd stand up, the rowdy customer would say, Man, F this place, and leave. By the time they got to our counter, everyone was pretty partied out and just wanted something scattered, smothered, covered, chunked, and diced before they passed out. One night, things got scary. My buddy Ray and I were sitting by the jukebox on our sixth White Snake song because it was the only thing on the machine that didn't twang. Around one, a young interracial couple came in. Cute kids, late teens, nice customers. About ten minutes after the kids came in, a pack of white supremacists walks in. This was before 2016. This was when white supremacists still stayed in their holes and hadn't yet aligned with the political party. They were rare. You only saw them in prison shows and Ed Norton movies, but here they were, six of them. Cliché tattoos and all, they sat at the bar, backs to the door. Their shirts were adorned with slogans that made a civilization cry. Ray and I looked to the manager for some kind of silent message. We were a little worried. We weren't worried because they were there. We weren't worried because there was an interracial couple sitting 20 feet from Nazis. What worried us was that it was 1.30. In 30 minutes, our establishment would be hosting, on average, 40 young, drunk, black men and women who live every day under the weight of the continuous oppression and sour demeanor of Southern hospitality. Those men and women will open our doors and, through a haze of smoke and Hennessy, see white power shouted at them, six different horrible ways from the backs at the bar. It was going to get ugly. There was going to be blood. But based on the way we expected the 40 Vs, six fight to go, we weren't sure we were going to get involved at all. The boss came and sat with us for a moment. We had a little meeting, kind of the fight coordination. I'd get fat tass on the ground, Ray would pop dad across the nose, the kitchen was there for backup, and they were ready to dive in. We waited. The kitchen double-timed their orders in hopes of getting them out quick. The kids got their food. They ate calmly, casting the occasional nervous glance. The filth got their food. They ate calmly, casting the occasional hateful glance. The filth stood up, dropped a bunch of cash, and left. It was one fifty-seven. Five minutes later, the customary trickle of stumblers, who were the definition of young, dumb, and full of cum, came pouring in. Five minutes. Those hillbilly men were five minutes away from dying. Now, I've always wondered if they meant to start shit and just chickened out, or if they just got lucky and left at the right time. Either way, the moment they left was one of the biggest reliefs of my life. I'll never forget that night, even though in the end nothing happened. I and my wife live in a mid-sized city in a fairly populated area in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, just off a very busy main road. This happened around June or July of 2020. We mostly live around older people and college students, and rent is very cheap as it's not the nicest neighborhood. 
My wife's job is a five-minute walk from our apartment, and she was getting home very late that night, around 1.30 a.m. She came in looking scared to death and eventually told me she saw the following. She said there was a small humanoid running out from between ours and our neighbor's house. It was dressed like and had the proportions of an approximately four-year-old child and wore a striped shirt and pants. She said he stopped, appeared to be a boy, and looked in her direction briefly before running off between another house. The child appeared to have a potato sack or burlap sack over his head. It was possibly drawn on. She is a major vibes person, but she has never said anything like this before, though she has excellent instincts. She didn't get a sense it was evil, but she was terrified after. If I bring up the child, she gets freaked out and won't talk about it. No small children live on our street, and there are regular gunshots. Screaming, angry, homeless guys that we are very accustomed to after three years of living here. In short, it's not a place an approximately four-year-old child would be out alone at 1.30 a.m. She also did not tell me what happened right away. She appeared scared but talked about work. Unrelated things before telling me that. I think she thought I would judge her. Tell her she was lying. It never happened again, and I have never seen or felt anything. If anyone has any theories, I'd love to know. It freaks me out to think about it, especially because that house he ran from is owned by a bachelor and has an enclosed gated backyard. So I spoke to her again about it. She said that it was strange because the door to our next-door neighbor's backyard was closed, and it seemed to go through the door. She said it ran in an unusually playful manner and seemed scared only when it stopped to look at her. It actually ran to the opposite side of the same house, which I got wrong the first time. From her report, it did not run like a child, but had a, a quick, playful movement, sort of like a rabbit. It made no sound or movement to indicate distress, other than running, skipping. Away quicker than a child would, she felt it was an internal sense, that it was paranormal and that she saw something she wasn't supposed to should not continue. If it has to have a face to be a humanoid, I apologize. I wasn't aware, honestly, and was trying to learn about the story. This is Pittsburgh. No, the bag covered the child's entire head, but she did say that the burlap bag may have been drawn on, like two little X over the eyes, but not a full face. She did not glimpse the skin color or cannot remember from shock. It didn't speak or make any sound that she can remember. It just ran. A few years ago, I took up hunting with my stepdad, as is tradition in his family. He's from northern Ontario, and we only hunt to fill our freezers. The first morning of my first hunt, I went out to my watch an hour and a half early, like the knob that I was. Let me tell you, there is nothing creepier than sitting in the bush in the pitch black, waiting for the sun to come up. You can't even see your hand six inches from your face. Anyways, maybe about half an hour into sitting there and shitting. My pants, I feel what I thought was a slight touch across the back of my neck. I shiver. Turn around, nothing there. Again, dark as F. Not the smartest guy here. Maybe five minutes later, same thing. Now I'm really creeped out. 
I clutch my gun closer than ever and call out, Hello? Someone there. No answer, of course. Swear to myself, I turn around again, hoping that it's just my imagination. Mopey, few minutes pass by, same goddamn thing again. This time I jump up, stumble over a branch or maybe a rock and eat dirt. Just as I'm about to get myself up, something grabs the back of my jacket and yanks me onto my ass. At this point I'm screaming, and screaming, then I realize whatever the F is, they're screaming back. Then it dawns on me that's hysterical laughter, not screaming. My step. Dad spent half an hour creeping out to me just to scare the daylights out of me on my first hunt. I had to answer some pretty embarrassing questions about all the screaming before dawn when I got back to camp for lunch. I love that guy. My friend and I were camping at a large national park, and we knew there were other people in yelling distance away, but we never saw them. We're sleeping one night in our single tent, and I woke up to very heavy, half-dragging, labored running steps in the gravel ground twigs, and it is coming towards us. I'm trying to listen closer to it, and it's for sure a person or something with two legs. And then I hear some word I can't understand being repeated over and over again, in this exhausted, super-heavy breathing, almost whipster yell. This guy is yelling this nonsense word, but is still attempting to walk, run, drag their feet, and they're 100% coming closer to our tent. The guy gets crazy close to our tent. Mm. It's pitch black. At this point, it's impossible to know if he saw it or not. Keeps repeating this word, and walks, runs, drags his feet past. I'm so scared, I'm crying. I get now why people cry in horror movies. And I'm trying to get my friend to wake up. They're the kind of person who wakes up with... Oh, what? He wakes up, and I, and I explain what happened and how we need to get to our car that is parked close to our tent. Maybe ten steps away. He tells me it's fine, that he didn't hear anything, and that the guy was clearing running away. I'm shaking and pleading we go to the car. Twenty minutes pass, and the same running is coming towards us, but even slower... And with even more labored breathing, the guy is now yelling, Is anyone there? Anyone? And whispering that nonsense word to himself, and then running, stopping, and yelling, Anyone? At one point, he was so close to our tent, his breathing felt like it was right over us. He very slowly dragged his feet past again. This is a huge, huge national park. For this guy to make this way all the way around is amazing. Especially in the time he did it, my friend looks me in the eye and mouths get to the car. We run to the car and just stayed there awake, scared until the sun came up. About a year ago, I finished work late and had arranged to stay at a friend's house afterwards to get stoned. I decided I'd go home first and shower, eat and charge my phone, which I forgot to do. As I'm about to set off, I notice it started to rain pretty heavy and decided I'd walk through the woods and cut my journey time in half. I had walked through these woods a hundred times before and never had anything strange or unsettling happen before, day or night. Within five minutes of entering the woods, I get the feeling someone is right behind me. I check and no one is, but I still had this uneasy and paranoid feeling. I end up glancing back over my shoulder every 10-20 seconds before I forced myself to stop being paranoid and man up. After walking for another 10 minutes or so, I realized the rain had stopped, and apparently so had 
everything else because there was no sound at all other than my breathing and footsteps. I stood still and listened to this deafening silence for a minute. Before I got that awful someone who stood less than a foot behind you, turn around right now, feeling that I had when I first entered. And before I could even think about turning my head, I felt something brush against my back. Now, at this point, I'm pretty much paralyzed with fear and just stood staring straight ahead and holding my breath for what felt like a lifetime, hoping it was my imagination until I felt the same brushing, feeling on my shoulder. This time, I immediately sprinted as fast as I could straight ahead. The ground was a little wet from the rain, and I ended up slipping and hitting my head on a tree trunk hard enough that I felt immediately sick and dizzy. I tried to carry on running, but my balance was awful, and I kept sliding all over the place in the mud. I eventually just collapsed into some bushes and tried to call my friend, but my phone had died. I did eventually manage to get to my feet again and kept going. I couldn't run because I was too dizzy, but the entire time I was speed walking out of those woods, I still felt uneasy, and I was still dead quiet. To this day, I'm unsure if anything was actually there with me. I know it wasn't a branch from a tree that brushed against me because no branches are that low next to the trail that I was walking on. But even if I just imagined something touching me, nothing could explain how quiet it got. I felt like I wasn't welcome there. My name is Judy Cook, and my husband Mick and I have been dealing with a strange occurrence on our remote central Queensland property. Over the past 18 years, we have found 20 cows that have been killed in the same peculiar way, with their organs removed with surgical precision and without any blood left at the scene. The most recent incident occurred just six months ago when we discovered a cow's carcass with its utter cheek and tongue cleanly removed. Once again, there was no blood or evidence of movement at the site. We can't explain how this is happening, but we have come to the conclusion that it might be aliens. How is it happening? It must have something that lifts it up and puts it down and doesn't leave any marks, I told the Daily Mercury. Aliens are the only explanation I have got. Initially, we never believed in the supernatural. However, after seeing strange lights in the sky around our property, we have started to think that something not human might be responsible. One night there was a light in the distance. Very bright. We couldn't tell how close it was, my husband, Mick said. It looked like it was just on the boundary of the property where I had found a mob of cattle out that way the next day who looked terrorized, and they started running as soon as I got close to them, which was very strange. We run 1,100 cattle on a 14,600-hectare property west of Young Yella about 80 kilometers west of McKay, and we are not isolated. Despite this, we are still grappling with the bizarre occurrences on our land. 